Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the second and final part on the Franco-Prussian War of 1870-1871. My name is Karl Rylott and over the last approximately 200 episodes I have gone through the history of Europe chronologically from the ancient Greeks onwards. I focus on certain battles and wars but the aim of each narrative is to place each conflict in the context of the grand sweep of European history. Last week I described the background to the Franco-Prussian War and how the two sides, the French and the German, compared. The Prussians were divided into three main armies. Two of them were led by army chiefs of 1866, the third army by Crown Prince Frederick Wilhelm and the second by Prince Frederick Charles, both of whom had fought competently, if not exceptionally well, against the Austrians. The remaining army command of the smaller First Army was given to the veteran general Karl von Steinmetz. Although Steinmetz had performed well at Königgrätz, he was by now into his 70s and showing increasing signs of substituting temper for judgment. He was willful, obstinate and impatient, sometimes too ready to take the initiative against the enemy. The Prussian war plans were to take full advantage of Germany's superior railways, five main lines running up to the French border that would allow their troops to deploy on a long arc from Trier in the north to Karlsruhe in the south. The French army was nominally led by Napoleon III, with Marshals Francois-Aquille Bazin and Patrice de Macman in command of the field armies. Bazan was renowned for his determination to lead from the front, for his impassive bearing under fire and for personal bravery verging on the foolhardy. His most recent expedition had been the invasion of Mexico, 
where the French had attempted, but failed, to install Maximilian of Habsburg as its ruler. McMahon was a hero of the Crimean Campaign and Governor-General of Algeria, whose Irish ancestors had emigrated to France after the defeat of James II in the 17th century. He led those troops which could be spared from Algeria. Napoleon left the government in Paris in the hands of a council of regency, headed by his wife, the Empress Eugène. On the 28th of July, 1870, Napoleon III left Paris for Metz and assumed command of the newly titled Army of the Rhine, some 200,000 strong and expected to grow as the French mobilisation progressed. Marshal McMahon took control of a smaller army at Wiesenburg, a town north of Strasbourg, while Marshal Francois Canrobert brought a third to the town of Chalon-sur-Marne in northern France as a reserve and to guard against oppression advanced through Belgium. It was soon evident that French military command lacked a clear plan, with news that 400,000 Prussian troops were massing both to north and south, it no longer seemed wise to drive east. At this point it would have made sense for Napoleon to stay put at Metz, connect with McMahon and to improvise a line of defence against the imminent Prussian offensive. However, he was under massive domestic pressure to launch an offensive before the full might of the Prussian forces were mobilised and deployed. Also, it was hoped that an early success might persuade the Austrians, Danes or Italians into an alliance. The Emperor therefore felt constrained to attack something, even if before an inevitable retreat. Reconnaissance had identified only the Prussian 16th Infantry Division guarding the border town of Saarbrücken, and so on the 31st of July, the French army were ordered there. In spite of strong Prussian resistance, they captured the town in a relatively small fight, suffering 86 casualties to the Prussians' 83. News of this very minor success was blown out of proportion back in France, where the public were clamouring to hear news of a great victory. On the front, however, Napoleon realised the danger of being trapped by superior enemy forces, and he retreated back to the river Moselle, a tributary of the Rhine. A campaign which had begun with promises of quick military glory now passively awaited a Prussian invasion. As the Prussians advanced westwards, the first major battle occurred in Alsace, where the Prussian Third Army rammed into the forces of Marshal McMahon in two stages. Firstly, a small battle at Wiesenburg on the 4th of August, and then a larger encounter two days later near the town of Fruschwiller. Although back in the 18th century, the French had built Wiesenburg into a formidable defensive line, it had since been allowed to decay. McMahon's forces were poorly supplied, forcing each division to seek out food and forage from the countryside. Also, French reconnaissance was poor and failed to warn of the impending enemy attack. Therefore, one single unit of the French found themselves attacked by a much larger Prussian force in Wiesenburg on the 4th of August. Fighting within the town became extremely intense, 
the Prussians threatened to envelop the enemy, but the effectiveness of French chassepot rifle fire inflicted costly damage on the infantry attacks. The French retreated, both sides having suffered casualties of about 1,500. Two days later, on the 6th of August, the two armies clashed again near the town of Frushvilla. The Crown Prince of Prussia's Third Army had, on the quick reaction of his Chief of Staff, General von Blumenthal, drawn reinforcements which brought its strength up to 140,000 troops. The French had been slowly reinforced and their force numbered only 35,000. Although badly outnumbered, the French defended their position. Again, the modern guns caused a devastating number of casualties. The Germans about 10,500 killed or wounded, and the French a similar number. The Germans captured the town, which sat on a hilltop in the centre of the French line. Having lost any hope for victory in facing a massacre, the French army disengaged and retreated in a westerly direction. The Prussian Chief of Staff, General Moltke, watched the development in Alsace closely. The door to France was now wide open, with the army of McMahon cut off from the French army of the Rhine to the northwest by the Prussian Third Army. Moltke's plan was similar as in 1866, to seek the main forces of the enemy and to attack them, wherever they were found. The three Prussian armies were to curl around Napoleon's army of the Rhine and destroy it. These plans, however, were spoilt by General Steinmeitz of the First Army, who made an overzealous, unplanned move against the enemy and triggered a battle by the town of Spickeren against a contingent of 29,000 French troops. The French were unaware of German numerical superiority at the beginning of the battle. Treating the oncoming attacks as merely skirmishes, they did not immediately request additional support from other units. When Marshal Bazan did receive call for support, he was slow to act. Again, casualties were high, especially for the Germans, and the French were able to retreat westwards. Again, similar to 1866, the Prussians were isolating a succession of enemy units and chewing them up in frontier battles. The main difference was much heavier casualties on the German side, although they were able to replenish troops quickly from their reserves. On the diplomatic front, the Austrians, Danes and Italians were all stunned by the speed of the Prussian attacks and stood down, quietly refusing to intervene in a war in which the Prussians looked certain to win. Back in France, news of the French retreats were met with anger and mobs took to the streets. The chief minister resigned and the empress appointed a new government to manage the crisis. Napoleon III also agreed to relinquish command of the Army of the Rhine and to give it to Marshal Bazan. It was clear that better leadership was required in the French command structure. Bazan, however, failed to quickly give the campaign new impetus and allowed the Prussians to envelop the 160,000 French troops stationed at Metz. France's best hope was for the main French army to break out and join up with McMahon's forces, but Bazan dithered at a crucial time. He let an entire week pass before ordering the first troops out of Metz on the 16th of August. Napoleon, however, was able to leave the army 
and headed west to join McMahon at Chalon. The French army and its command seemed to be in a state of shock following the series of German victories. As they attempted to break out of Metz, they were set upon by a much smaller Prussian force of 30,000 men near the town of Mar-la-Tour. Like battles before it, it was launched by Prussian subordinates taking the initiative, not following the overall plan, but in the belief they were working to the overall mission. Mar-la-Tour was a battle which the French should have won. Bazan had troops perfectly positioned to demolish the enemy, but he declined to use them and so missed a golden opportunity to achieve a victory. Again, French passivity and a lack of offensive impulse meant they were coming off second best to the more nimble and aggressive Prussian forces. Under heavy fire from Prussian artillery, Bazan retreated back to Metz. The battle included the last major cavalry engagement in Western Europe. Overall, each side suffered about 16,000 casualties. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Two days later, on the 18th of August, took place the largest battle of the Franco-Prussian War, the Battle of Gravelotte, where 200,000 German troops with 730 guns faced 160,000 French troops with 520 cannon. Bazan selected as the battleground a line of hills running north-south a few kilometres west of Metz. The Prussians had circled around Metz and so approached from the west, blocking the intended French line of retreat. The French position seemed strong from a distance, but was flawed. Although their left flank in the south was well protected by hills and ravines, there was nothing fixing their northern right flank around the village of San Pirivat, and Bazan failed to send over additional artillery to compensate for the weakness. The northern sector of the French line inflicted heavy losses on the assaulting Germans before being forced to retire towards Metz at nightfall. The southern sector of the French line, situated behind a deep ravine and prepared trenches, 
virtually paraphrase the German assault directed against it. Malka was therefore astonished when instead of counter-attacking in order to reopen the road to Verdun, Bazan used the night to pull back to Metz. The German losses of more than 20,000 men at Gravelot exceeded the 13,000 French casualties, but the Germans had accomplished their purpose of trapping the French army. As Bazan retreated with his remaining troops into the fortress at Metz, Moltke deployed forces to surround the city. The French still had hopes of victory if they could unite their forces, but Bazan's retreat to Metz destroyed this possibility. The Prussians' task was thus made much easier, shutting Bazan's men inside the city of Metz with a fraction of their men and then setting off in pursuit of Macman, the last remaining large French army in the open field. Bazan could have tried to break out by concentrating his forces and trying to punch a hole through the enemy lines, but instead he attempted only a couple of half-hearted sorties. McMahon's appeals to Bazan, his nominal superior for instructions, at first went unanswered, and so he hesitated, unsure whether to retreat to Paris and its fortifications or to attempt to come to the rescue of Bazan. On belatedly receiving a message that Bazan did intend to try and break out from Metz, McMahon decided on the latter choice. Emperor Napoleon III, who was with McMahon, did not wish to retreat towards Paris, for fear that such an admission of failure would spark so much anger that he would be deposed. McMahon decided to advance north towards the Belgian border before swinging round towards Metz. The Germans were fully aware of these intentions and moved to intercept them. After some initial clashes with the Prussians, McMahon was forced to retire to the small fortress town of Sedan. Here the position was truly hopeless. The town could not feed the army for more than a few days. In fact, with its streets clogged with transport carts, artillery and refugees, Sedan could scarcely contain the army. The only option for the French was to break out of Sedan, but they were encircled and heavily outnumbered. McMahon's horse was blown under him by a shell burst, severely injuring the marshal. As his strength ebbed away, he appointed General Ducroy as acting commander of the army. An attempt to escape was made, but the Germans moved their artillery to seal off the route. As both sides poured reinforcements into an increasingly ferocious battle, it seemed that a French counter-offensive might just prevail. However, every French attempt to attack was immediately shattered by the German artillery. In desperation, the French cavalry attacked three times, showing great courage, but it was not enough, and despite their efforts, the way out was closed. The French were hammered by more than 400 German guns, mounted in a semicircle on the high ground around the town, and early the next morning, Napoleon ordered a white flag to be raised. In an attempt to gain mild terms, Napoleon III rode out in person from Sedan, who was met by Bismarck, who sat him down on a bench by an inn. Bismarck informed the dejected emperor that the entire French army would be taken into captivity 
and the siege of Metz would continue. Some 100,000 French troops were made to lay down their arms and were taken to prison camps. As the news of this defeat reached Paris on the 3rd of September, riots broke out. Hundreds of thousands of demonstrators gathered on the Place de la Concorde, shouting, Death to the Bonapartes! Long live the nation! With the humiliating defeat having destroyed the regime's legitimacy, the next day the National Assembly proclaimed the deposition of the Emperor and the creation of the Third Republic. Napoleon went to exile in England. Meanwhile, holed up in his fortress of Metz, Bazan and his troops began to starve, and foraging groups were repulsed by Prussian artillery fire and the Chassepot rifles the Germans had captured at Sedan. Finally, on the 29th of October, Bazan surrendered his 133,000 troops to the Germans. The war, however, was not yet over, because the new French government refused the harsh terms demanded by the Prussians, in particular determined to avoid the annexation of Alsace and Lorraine. In Paris, a provisional republican government of national defence was formed under the charismatic young politician Leon Gambetta, who escaped from the city by hot air balloon and organised new French armies in the countryside. These engaged with the German forces but could not defeat them. Demoralised and plagued by desertions, they soon disintegrated, so that all that was left were about 400,000 troops garrisoning Paris. The French capital would be a hard nut to crack for the Germans. The city of Tumenian was ringed by a number of forts, bristling with guns. The Parisian government ordered the destruction of all roads, bridges and railways out to a distance of 40 miles. Closer in, to deny the Germans food or shelter, all farms were burnt down, villages razed and livestock slaughtered. However, surrounded on all sides by the German armies, Paris soon ran out of food, and the increasingly desperate inhabitants were subsisting on bread and not much else by the end of the year. In November, an attempted breakout was repulsed with a loss of 12,000 men in a three-day battle. Two further sorties fared no better. The Prussians began bombarding the city, but the losses the shells caused were far outweighed by deaths from starvation in the besieged city. Even the arrival of Giuseppe Garibaldi, who quickly assembled 25,000 volunteers to fight for the new French Republic, was unable to make much impact. Meanwhile, the conflict became even more bitter as the Germans carried out large-scale looting. When armed French civilians ambushed their foraging parties, the Germans responded with heavy reprisals. Bismarck ordered villages that resisted demands for supplies to be burned to the ground and its male inhabitants to be hanged. The situation was finally resolved when long-postponed elections were held in France, with the cooperation of the Germans on the 8th of February 1871. By now the majority population were desperate for peace and the elections were won by conservative monarchists who promised an end to the conflict. The new assembly appointed the 73-year-old Adolphe Thiers as president. 
the Prussians were prepared to make no substantial concessions and compelled the French to pay a heavy price for defeat. They were forced to allow the annexation of the regions of Alsace and Lorraine to the new United Germany, as well as to pay a huge indemnity of five billion francs. And to rub salt into the wounds, the Germans insisted on a victory parade through the streets of Paris. The French nation was devastated with 140,000 killed in all and roughly the same number wounded, while the Germans suffered about 45,000 killed and twice that number wounded. In Paris, the trauma of war caused political turmoil. To ensure order in the city, the government, led by Adolphe Thiers, decided to disarm the National Guard, composed largely of workers, who fought during the siege of Paris. On March the 18th, popular resistance broke out in Paris, and on March 26, municipal elections resulted in victory for the revolutionaries. In the spirit of 1792, they formed a city administration known as the Paris Commune, introduced radical social legislation and called for the renewal of war. The French national government undertook a new siege of Paris and towards the end of May began a ferociously brutal conquest of the city. Before they were defeated, about 20,000 insurrectionists were killed, along with about 750 government troops. The War of 1870 placed a particular strain on relations between the French and Germans. To add insult to injury, Bismarck organised the proclamation of the German Empire, extended to include the South German states as well, in the Palace of Versailles, former centre of power in France. The annexation of Alsace and Lorraine in particular traumatised the French political elite and became the focus for resentment and cause for revenge, leading ultimately to the outbreak of war again in 1914. For centuries, Europe's German centre had been politically fragmented and weak. The continent had been dominated by states on the periphery, whose interest was to maintain the power vacuum at the centre. Now, however, for the first time, the centre was united and strong. With the united population of 41 million, Germany's population was larger than that of France's 36 million, in fact, second only in Europe to Russia. And not only did the country have an excellent education system, a rapidly industrialising economy, its army was second to none. Domestically within Germany, victory in 1870 empowered a class of militarists who linked the status of their nation to war and expansion. At the same time, the other nations of Europe took the lesson that if they wanted to avoid the risk of annihilation as swift as that of France's Second Empire, it was imperative to imitate the German model and to create a nation whose entire manpower was not only trained as soldiers, but could be mobilised, armed and concentrated on the frontiers within a few days. The political significance of the Franco-Prussian War was immediately recognised by the British statesman Benjamin Disraeli, who declared that the balance of power in Europe had been entirely destroyed. You've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you like the show and would like to support it, 
please go to patreon.com stroke history europe thank you for all your support another great way of helping is by giving a, a good review on itunes or wherever you found the podcast next we'll be moving back east and to talk about the russo turkish war of 1877 to 1878 where the ottomans and the russians fought over control of the Balkans, which is in growing turmoil. I hope you can join me then. Until then, all the best and goodbye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.